Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, will you follow me once again to the book of Romans? Turn to chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, and our text today will be verses 13 through 23. If there's one truth in all of the world that you and I should hold on to is the truth that that song just portrayed to us. And no matter what the world looks like, no matter what the circumstances of this world appear to be, God is in control. He is on his throne at this moment, ruling and reigning. And we can find comfort and solace uh, in that. Hopefully you've made your way to Romans chapter 14. We will be reading once again verses 13 through 21. And the Bible says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on on one another any longer, but rather... Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but is uh, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For what does not proceed from faith is sin. Let us pray. Father, we come to you again today and we thank you for this awesome privilege that we have to be in this place together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to come and freely worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you have afforded us the opportunity to come before your throne because of Christ. You have revealed to us your holy word. You have given to us the person of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth as we learned about in Sunday school this morning. And so, Father, we're asking today that through the Holy Spirit that you would lead us into the truth of this text today, that you will use the Holy Spirit to shape us, to mold us, 
to conform us into the image of Christ and to help us live in ways that would bring glory and honor to your holy name, that would bring peace and unity to the body, and that would bring edification to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as always, Lord, we ask that you would use this vessel to bring glory and honor to your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, we are in the practical application section of the book of Romans. When we left chapter 11, Paul ended his theological treatment of redemptive history. And then he turned to the practical application of how you and I ought to live in light of the redemption that we have received in Jesus Christ. Because Christ has redeemed us, it ought to impact how we live in this world. That's why he began chapter 12 by telling us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And it is through the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells us that helps our minds to begin to be renewed. And it's through the truth of God's word that the Holy Spirit primarily uses that tool to cause this work of sanctification to take place uh, in our life. And we talked about the issue of sanctification, right? You remember we talked about it in the book of Hebrews. Paul's dealt with it a little bit in Romans already. We have learned so far in our journey through Scripture that sanctification is seen in a threefold kind of way. We have this uh, idea that when we come to faith in Christ, we are positionally sanctified. If you remember in Romans chapter 8, Paul kind of gives this illusion that God has deemed us to be sanctified. We really saw that in the book of Hebrews, but God has declared everyone who comes to Christ sanctified. That's how he views us. Then there is the aspect of our future complete sanctification. We will be perfectly sanctified when we uh, see Christ come again and our bodies catch up with our spirit or our soul and we get a brand new body. And in that day of glorification, we will be sanctified. But Paul reminded us where we live at on a daily basis is in this progressive sanctification, right? The already not yet of scripture. Already God has declared me sanctified, but when I look at myself and you look at yourself, you know I have not completely been sanctified, right? Maybe you don't see yourself that way, but I definitely see myself that way. That when I look in the mirror of my life, I say, you have a long way to go, big boy. God is still working on me. So that's where we live. Paul told us that in Romans chapter 7, right? We live in this area of progressive sanctification, and I think that is... One of the truths that underlie this topic that Paul began in chapter 13 for us about the stronger and the weaker brother. And don't miss that aspect of it. Paul is talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. There's nowhere in this context, in this dialogue, beginning from chapter 13, that Paul is, has in mind these are people who are not saved. Both groups The stronger and the weaker are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the picture is that all of us are not at the same place in our spiritual level of maturity or understanding. In particular, what Paul is dealing with in this context has to do with issues of food and drink. Okay, And probably the context that 
Paul is writing in is the context of the Roman church. In the Roman church, you had both Jews and Gentiles. And it's my personal opinion that I believe that Paul sees the Jewish believers, some of them anyway, in this Roman church as the weaker brothers who have an aversion to eating certain foods, who want to uh, celebrate certain days, whereas he sees some of the Gentile believers maybe as the more strong in faith who understand their liberty in Christ, that we don't have to be bound by the Old Testament ceremonial and civil laws anymore. We can eat whatever we want to eat because it's just food, and we can drink whatever it is we want to drink, okay? And so they understand that liberty. Well, here's the danger that Paul sees in these two groups of people. And you and I see this danger today. We, we, might, we, we might not understand the, the food laws of the Old Testament, and most of us, you know, we'll eat whatever uh, that we like to eat. All of us don't like the same thing, so we might not all eat the same things, but we have no aversion to unkosher foods for the most part, right? And so Paul sees this danger in this church. And it's a danger to the unity of the brotherhood, and it's a danger to the weaker brother in particular. And Paul says, hey, this can cause a problem in the unity of the church because what the stronger the brother or sister, their tendency is to look at the weaker brother or sister, the one who says, no, don't eat that. Don't drink that. Celebrate this day. Hold it holy and sacred. The stronger brother or sister has a tendency to look at them and say, will you guys not catch up? Will y'all not come, come on board with us? You're being ridiculous, right? And we, we have a tendency, and again, I, I, we always assume we're the stronger, right? <laughs> the stronger person has the tendency or has the tendency to look down on and ridicule the weaker brother or sister for their scruples or their opinions. Well, The weaker brother or sister has a problem too. They have a tendency, and that tendency is to cast judgment on the stronger, the one who understands their Christian liberty to eat whatever they want to eat. They they will cast judgment on them. They will bring out their list of things and say, hey, you need to conform to this list. How unchristian are you because you don't conform to the list that I have written that we ought to conform to? And so both sides have this tendency And there is this tendency of the tyranny of the weaker brother. If one of the weaker brothers or sisters who don't understand the liberty we have in Christ rise up to a place of leadership to take their scruples and their opinions and try to impose them upon the other believers in the church. And so then you have the tyranny of the weaker. One example of that is in the church that we grew up in, In that church, there were some, and again, no no offense to anyone, it was Independent Baptist Church, but in that day, hey, if your hair was longer than my hair, as a man, you had a problem, right? You had to keep your hair cut short, and women, if you were sitting here with your britches on this morning, you're in trouble, right? Because you couldn't wear any pants. You had to wear a skirt, and they had to be certain, you know, lengths, and hey, there's some merit to some of that, right? But what had happened, even wearing a necklace, right? Even wearing a necklace was uh, frowned upon. So there, there are plenty of things where people have these convictions and scruples that are not 
necessarily binding scriptural uh, moral issues. They're opinions of people who have convictions. And what Paul is saying, our tendency is to take those things that are on the periphery, that are just matters of opinion, and they become the primary issue of the church. That's what, that's what Paul is trying to guard against in this passage. And haven't we seen that in churches? Most of us have been around church long enough that we see that things that do not matter to the kingdom of God sometimes become the thing that we focus on the most, and it's the thing that ultimately divides a church, right? And Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't quibble over matters of opinion. Let's keep our focus on the reality of what the kingdom of God is all about. And ultimately, we've already learned in, in chapter 14, in, in the very first verse, what did Paul say to the stronger brothers and sisters? Welcome those who are the weak. Don't look down on them. As a matter of fact, Paul's going to remind us in this passage, hey, you who understand your Christian liberty... You may need to forfeit your Christian liberty for the betterment of the, of the body of Christ. And we as Americans say, hold on, wait a minute, right? Because I got my rights, right? Isn't that the way we think? It's the way I think. I don't know about you guys. But we bring that over into the kingdom of God and we look at our weaker brothers and sisters who don't have this understanding of their liberty that they can eat whatever meat is set before them. They can drink whatever drink is set before them. And we say, hey, don't tell me what I can do or can't do. If you don't like it, you can leave, right? Paul is telling us that's the wrong mindset. And so let's get into this text today. We're going to look at it in four main points that we're going to look at today and, and really just going to walk through the text. First, we're going to see Paul tells us there's really four basic verb phrases or verbal phrases that drive this text. There's one or two others, but I think these are the four that drive what Paul's trying to get across to us in this text. The first one we find in verses 13 through 15, let us not pass judgment. And then the second verbal phrase we see in verses 16 through 18 or, or, yeah, 16 through 18. Do not allow our liberty to become blasphemous or scandalous. Then verse 19, there's one single solitary phrase there. Let us pursue peace and mutual edification. And then the third phrase we'll explore is in verses 20 to 23. Do not destroy the work of God. Those are the commands that Paul's given us. Those are the, the actions that Paul is calling us to be about as believers. And in particular, in, in some cases, he's talking to both the strong and the weak. But Paul's primary message is to those who would consider themselves strong, who understand their liberty in Christ. He's falling back on everything he's told us before about loving our neighbors ourselves, about <clears throat> us uh, you know, not thinking too highly of ourselves. He's telling us to emulate Jesus Christ, to take on the role of a servant to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's begin with verses 13 through 15. Uh, let us not pass judgment. Therefore, Paul says in verse 13, let us not pass judgment. If you'll remember, Paul has already told us in the first 
section of chapter 14 that all of us are going to stand in judgment before Almighty God. All of us, he's talking to both the stronger and the weaker in this text, are God's children. He died for us. So all of us will be given an account to our master. Therefore, we should not judge our brother and sister in these matters of opinion, these matters of adiaphora, right? These matters that are on the peripheral, that have no real salvific impact to them. And so Paul is not saying that we shouldn't make judgment calls about issues of morality and issues that God has said you shall not do these things, right? Or you shall do these things. What he is saying is we are not to judge people on matters of their opinion as it relates to these sideline issues on meat you eat or on drink that you drink, okay? Do not pass judgment any longer. Well, the implication is they have been passing judgment, right? So the question before you today, even before we get to the invitation is, are you that kind of Christian? Are you the one who sits in judgment on your brothers and sisters in Christ over these matters of their personal opinion or scruples? If so, then we need to repent. I've been that guy, right? I have been that guy who has my list of opinions and scruples. And I say, maybe not to their face because we're cowards and we'll say it behind their back. Can you believe what old so-and-so was doing or eating or saying, right? Can can you, you've been there? You heard that? We We ought to repent. We ought to repent. Let us no longer pass judgment. But rather, in some translations uh, that you have may say, let this be your judgment. But rather, decide, this is a command to you and to me, never, what does the word never mean? Well, yeah, it means never, not at all, at any point in time, never to put a stumbling block A stumbling block, that word ought to bring back memories because we've heard that about the gospel of Christ, right? A stumbling block, people tripped over it, right? The stone, this rock of offense that was put in the way. But he says about these matters of opinion, don't let our liberty and our celebration of our liberty to eat whatever it is we want to eat and to drink whatever it is we want to drink become a stumbling block before our brothers and sisters who don't understand that liberty in its fullness. Never let us be accused of causing them to stumble and go against their conscience is what Paul is saying. And he'll bear that out as we get through this text. And there is a passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to the right with me. A couple pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And Paul deals with this same, or put it this way. He deals with a very similar issue. In Romans, it's particularly, I think, in relation to kosher foods and Jewish holy days. Whereas in Corinth, it is primarily about meats that have been sacrificed to idols, okay? But the truth that Paul is teaching us is the same in both instances. So First uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 13, I think is the text. He says, but take care 
that this right of yours, in other words, this liberty that you have to eat meat, even meat that was sacrificed to idols because idols are nothing. And if you eat that meat and you bless that meat before God, the meat doesn't defile you, right? That's what Paul's saying. If you understand your liberty, what Paul is saying, take care that this right or this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, in other words, you understand your liberty in Christ to eat whatever is set before you, to drink whatever is set before you. If anyone sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food according or offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. Paul's going to use that same kind of language over here in Romans chapter 14. We, in our liberty, if we flaunt that liberty, we can cause those whose conscience tells them that is sin to be tempted to sin against their conscience. And listen to what Paul is telling us that means. Look, look what he says as we go on in, in 1 Corinthians. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Man, you ought to underline that passage. Paul's going to say the exact same thing about this person in verse 15, back in Romans 14. Here's what you and I need to understand. Even if you think you're the stronger the weaker brother is a person for whom Christ died. They're part of the family. And we need to treat them as such. And maybe you're the weaker and you're passing judgment on the stronger. They are the person for whom Christ died. And we ought to treat them as such. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ought to act like it. And then he, he goes on to say in this Passage, verse 12 in, in 1 Corinthians 8. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Boy, isn't that powerful? Yes, I can eat whatever it is that is set before me. I can drink whatever it is that is set before me. I have that liberty in Christ. There is no such thing as a kosher food requirement anymore. But Paul is saying to the first century believers in Rome and in Corinth and to you and I today, if that causes my brother whose conscience tells him it is sin to stumble, then not only am I sinning against my brother, I'm, a, I'm sinning against Christ. So we need to be careful how we exercise and use our liberty in Christ. Because we could be sinning in using something that is good. You understand? It's not all about you. And it's not all about me. And unfortunately, that's the way we look at it a lot of times in our American culture, isn't it? It is absolutely all about me. And I want my way, and I want my liberty, and I want my rights right now. No matter how it affects you. What does Paul say about the family of faith? 
If my liberty to do what God says I am free to do causes you to sin in your own conscience, then I'm sinning against Christ. And I need to repent. That puts a whole new meaning on loving your neighbor, doesn't it? And so we go back to Romans 14, verse 14. I know this is, Paul, this is Paul's understanding. He lays his cards on the table. This is what he understands. I know and am persuaded that in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Paul understands what Mark said when Jesus was tested about things that they ought to eat. What, well, why, did people, why do your disciples do this? Jesus says, don't you know? Haven't you read? Right? It's not what goes in the body that defiles a person. Right? And Mark's commentary on that was, hey, when he said that, when Jesus said that, he declared all foods clean. And we all know the Peter, Peter's vision on the rooftop, right? Three times. Peter was a person of conscience. It takes a whole lot of scruple, a whole lot of of confidence, I guess, or conviction when God says, kill and eat, to stand up before God and say, no, can't do it. And so God three times told him, kill and eat. And And God even says, don't call those things unclean that I have declared clean. And in that way, God ended the food laws. So Paul understands that. But then he helps us understand this. But it is unclean for whoever thinks it is unclean. Now, are they immature in their faith if they think it's unclean when God said it's clean? Yes, they're immature in their faith. But is it our job to force them beyond that? No. Paul says it's our job to hold back on our liberty so they won't go into sinfulness because of their own conscience. And it's our job to build a relationship with them and maybe walk alongside of them and help them to understand the truth of this this when the Holy Spirit gives us opportunity to do so. Then he goes on, verse 15, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. In, verse thir- in chapter 13, uh, verse 8, Paul told us, how do we fulfill the law? When we love. Oh, no one anything except to love them. And when we walk in this love, we will fulfill the law of God. And he was talking about the Ten Commandments because he listed some of those Ten Commandments in that section. If we cause our brother to go against his own conscience in these matters of uh, insequential things, food and drink, then we are the ones who are sinning. If we cause them to eat something that they don't feel like they ought to eat, we are the ones who are in the wrong. And we need to confess to God. And we need to keep in mind our brother and sister in Christ even though we have the freedom to do so. Paul goes on to say, but what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom God or Christ died. Don't don't overlook the mental image that Paul just gave us. Those who understand their liberty 
but they use that liberty in such a way that causes their brother and sister in Christ to sin against their own conscience. They are destroying that person's faith. That's how serious Paul is about this issue. That's how serious Paul is about the issue of unity and peace. And that's why he says to us in the next section, verses 16 through 18, don't allow your liberty. Yes, you have the liberty. You have the understanding of the liberty. But don't allow your liberty to be something, become something that people speak evil of or they blaspheme. That's the word in the Greek. Becomes a blasphemous issue because of your liberty. Don't let your freedom cause other people to have to speak evil about you because of their misunderstanding of that liberty. So where's Paul putting all the onus for this? Not on the weaker brother or sister. He's putting it on the stronger brother or sister. You are to yield to a certain degree to protect the conscience of the weaker brother and help them along. And we don't look at it that way in our culture. We don't look at it that way in, in the church, in the modern era of Christianity a lot of times. But Paul is putting that shoulder, that, that, the shoulder, the, that responsibility on the shoulder of the stronger brother. For, if the, for the kingdom of God, listen to what he says here in verse 17, is not a matter of eating and drinking. The kingdom of God, God, you're no better, he says in another place, for eating or not eating. That won't gain you any favor with God, whichever one you do. And the kingdom of God is more than that. Right? He gives us what the kingdom of God is all about in this passage. It is about righteousness, it is about peace, and it is about joy in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what he says? And you can't help but think about Galatians chapter twenty uh, 5, verse 22, right? And the fruit of the Spirit. And he lists the fruit of the Spirit there. And at the center of that is this idea of peace and joy and love and all the other things that go along with that. Now, don't miss this aspect of righteousness because we have a culture of people in the Christian world today who would try to use these verses to say, Paul is telling us, listen, we, we have liberty to do whatever it is we want to do. Well, no, because the context of this is about food and drink. It's not saying you have the liberty to do whatever it is you want to do contrary to the moral character and code of God. Because what does Paul say the kingdom of God is about? Number one, righteousness. Well, how do we know what righteousness is? Well, we see it in Jesus Christ, right? Hey, who helps us understand what righteousness is? If you're in Sunday school, you learned that today. What does the Holy Spirit do? Convict the world of righteousness ultimately, right? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. God has a standard of living to which he calls every believer and is called righteousness. We see that righteousness manifest in Jesus Christ. We see the righteous requirements of God listed in the Ten Commandments. And Peter tells us and reminds us that God says, be holy as I, because I am holy. And then the kingdom of God is about peace. Well, what does Isaiah call Jesus? 
Well, the Prince of Peace is one of the things that he calls him, right? It is Jesus who ultimately brings peace in our life to endure the turmoil of this world because we can have that inner peace in our our spirit no matter what the circumstances are, just like the disciples in the boat in the midst of the storm. We have the spirit of peace who indwells us. Jesus said he leaves us his peace. But Paul is thinking beyond just that inner peace that we have in Christ and that peace we have with God through Christ. He's talking about that same thing he's already told us we ought to be pursuing, right? He says, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with your neighbor, with your brother and sister in Christ, even with your enemy. But in particular in the house of God, we ought to be at peace with one another. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We all had to come to Christ the same way as broken, wretched people who are redeemed by Christ. And we all have the same goal. And that is to be obedient to the call that God has placed on our life, which is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make Christ known to the world around us. And then joy. We can only have joy in Christ. There is no joy outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the kingdom of God is ultimately about. And he says, whoever thus, in this way, whoever serves in this way, righteousness, peace, and joy, whoever serves Christ in this way is accepted to God and accepted by men or before men. If you want to honor God and be honored before men, Be about righteousness, peace, and joy. And don't quibble over food and drink. Or the color of the carpet. Or the pads on the pew. You understand what I'm saying? And then Paul says again to, we could have put verse 19 with this last part. Let us pursue peace and mutual edification. That's the next command that he gives us, an imperative. And pursue it is intentional, isn't it? Pursue the things that make for peace. Too many times we pursue the things that make for our own happiness and pleasure. Again, is there anything wrong with being happy and having pleasure necessarily? Not necessarily. Sometimes... It depends on how you achieve both, right? But the focus of the family of God amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ ought to be to pursue peace in the body. Not division, not arguing, but to pursue peace. And then mutual edification. We ought to build one another up, not always try to beat each other down. You know, Christians, we're the world's worst at doing it, right? Somebody gets down, right? Maybe they are in an in a area of sinfulness in their life. You know what we say as Christians, the good Christians we are? Well, they're getting what they deserve. Well, they're down on the ground. We put our foot on their neck, right? We kick a man while he's down. I, you guys may have never met Christians like that. I have. Sometimes I've been that Christian like that. I know none of you have ever been like that. 
But sometimes I've been that person. What is Paul telling us? Whatever liberty you have, use the gifts, the talents, the liberty that God's given you to be about peace and mutual edification of the body. He says the same thing about spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gift's not to lift you up. It's to lift the body up. That's what the people of God are to be about. And then finally, we get to the last section. Do not destroy. Again, it uses this idea of destruction. Don't destroy the work of God in the face of your liberty. Don't use your liberty to cause destruction to what God's trying to do in the, in the life of your brother or sister or through the kingdom of God in this local body we call Friendship Baptist Church, if you want to make it real up close and personal. Do not, he says, listen, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And in our context, you can put anything you want to in there that is a sideline issue. Don't destroy the work of God because somebody got a tattoo. Don't destroy the work of God because uh, somebody might have smoked a cigarette. Don't destroy the the work of God because someone might have took a a drink of wine or beer. You understand what I'm saying? I get it. Hey, I'm a teetotaler when it comes to alcohol, 100%. Don't like it. Don't want anything to do with it. Because, not because... I think the Bible says you should never do it. There are places where it talks about staying away from strong drink. And there are places in the Bible that says don't be drunk with wine. And then there are places in the Bible where Paul tells Timothy, hey, take a little bit of wine for your stomach. So there's no no passage in the Bible that says thou shalt not drink alcohol. You have liberty to do that, okay? I understand that. I'm not going to do it because I saw what alcoholism did to my dad. I saw what alcoholism did to my family because of what it did to my dad. And I don't want to be that guy. You understand? That's why I have the conviction I have. But if I come to your house and you you have a beer can in your refrigerator, I'm not necessarily going to be offended because of that. You have the liberty to partake in that. You don't have the liberty to be a drunkard or a wine-bibber, right? You don't have the liberty to abuse it, just like I don't have the liberty to abuse the food that I can eat, right? That's when we cross the line in those areas. But Paul is saying, don't let those kind of things destroy what God is trying to do in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not about that. Each person to his own conscience before his God on those issues. And let us live in light of that. And let those who understand their liberty and do partake of that, listen, you need to be sensitive to those who have a conviction about that being sin. Yes, maybe they're wrong, right? Yes. But you need to bend over backwards not to cause them to stumble because they believe it is sin. That's where Paul is putting the responsibility. Even though you understand and have the liberty, you are the person who needs to step up to the plate and maybe withhold yourself from doing those things that would cause your brother or sister to stumble. That's what Paul's saying. Let's get on so we can can go home. I don't even know what time it is. 
It is good. Listen to what Paul says in the next sentence. It is good in verse 21, not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That's a powerful sentence, isn't it? Paul's already told us, he says, I understand that nothing is unclean in itself. And now he's telling us, if it causes your brother to stumble, then it's good if you don't do it. And that's counterintuitive to our American mind, right? Just like we started. My American mind says, I have freedom, I have liberty, I must exercise, right? No matter what it does to the conscience of my brother. Again, separate this from the political aspect, okay? Yes, we need to exercise our freedom and our liberty politically. We need to vote our conscience. But in the house of God, over these matters of opinion, those who are the stronger need to take a step back and even maybe abstain from things that you are free to partake in if it causes your brother or your sister to sin against their own conscience. That's what Paul's telling us. That's the way we got to it. Listen to what he says in verse 22. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. So in other words, he's saying, hey, you can probably partake in your, the privacy of your own home. If it's causing a brother and sister to stumble in public, maybe you should not partake in public. That's what he's saying. How do you know that? Well, you got to get to know your brother and sister, right? <laughs> Build those relationships, right? Can't build a relationship in front of a screen all the time, can you? Can't build a relationship for in an hour sitting in a pew, can you? How do you build relationships? Well, one of the ways you build relationships in the context of the church is you get involved in small groups where you have better dialogue, more time to interact one-on-one with one another, right? That's a novel idea. Sunday school is what we call it. If you don't like that term, you can call it whatever you want to, right? I'm old school, Sunday school. Right? I had a guy in another church that I was pastor of. He says, I don't go to Sunday school because I graduated school when I left the 12th grade. Well, how ludicrous is that? Right? Call it small group if you want to. If you don't like that, right? Whatever. I won't get off on the Sunday school speech, but we need small groups. We need discipleship. That's how we get to know one another. That's how we build those relationships where we will understand how we think about things. And that's how we help one another along, right? And here's the reality of it. Most of the time, we think we are the stronger, right? Most of the time, we think we got it all right. But here's the reality. Every one of us have a little bit of it wrong. You understand that? Even the guy standing before you today proclaiming the truth of God's word, guess what? There's some things that I'm not always right about. Now, that hurts me to say, right? My wife's saying amen. <laughs> but listen, if all of us are honest, we're not right about everything all the time. And when I stand before God, I'm going to be held accountable for the things that I'm not right about. And that's why there are many things that I'm not so dogmatic about. You know why? Because I don't have the absolute truth on it. God does. The Holy Spirit will lead me into that one day, hopefully. One day I'll know it all when I see him face to face. But the reality is none of us are perfectly 100% right all the time. And we need to have liberty in understanding that, right? And we need to give, give a little bit of grace to those who are, quote, the weaker 
brothers or sisters in those areas. All right, let, let's move on because he talks about uh, eating in doubt, in faith. And what he's talking about is they don't understand the liberty. They don't have the maturity that the stronger brother has. So their eating without this understanding and liberty and exercising their faith is sin to them. And that's what we got to guard against. I just want to give you four, rev, four or five rev resolutions and, and we're going to be done because I've already talked about this idea. You may be a, a one of the persons who would be considered the stronger brother and you've cast, you've looked down on the weaker brother, right? And you've ridiculed them for their consciousness, conscience. Maybe you're the weaker person and you have cast judgment on the stronger person because of their liberty. Paul says, both of us are wrong and we need to repent. And we need to love one another. And we need to walk alongside of each other. And we need to, for lack of a better way to put it, put up with each other. Even if we don't always agree with each other. Right? So, wherever you fall in that category, and all of us have fallen in one of those two, and maybe sometimes both of them at the same time. Let us repent and ask God to have us the right, have the, help us have the right kind of attitude in those areas. Four, let's say one, two, three, four, five resolutions. I think, I think here's where we could summarize everything that Paul's been trying to say to us. Let us be resolved never to be a stumbling block to another brother. Let us be resolved never to destroy God's work in the name of Christian liberty. Let us be resolved to live righteously. Let us be resolved to pursue those things that make for peace. And let us be resolved to pursue those things that make for mutual edification. And if we would do those things right there, I think we would fully be able to love our neighbor as ourselves, And there would be unity and peace in the family of God. Not saying there's not unity and peace here today, but we always have to be on the guard against division, right? Because the devil wants to divide us, right? And we have a tendency toward divisiveness as human beings. All you got to do is look at Facebook and Twitter, right? Let that not be the testimony of the church of the living God. Let us go out of our way to make peace and lift one another up. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this privilege you've given us to be in your house. We thank you for the word that's been set before us today. We're trusting, Lord, that you will be true to your word, as you said to the prophet, that your word never comes back void, that it always accomplishes that which you sent it out to do. So today... Holy Spirit, lead us into truth. Convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Work the work of sanctification in us. And where those areas are that we need to repent, show them to us so that we can agree with you, God, that they are sinful. Help us have this mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.